Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Monday edition of Scoops with Danny Mac. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Colin Surrey is our producer. And the Air Comfort Service text line is wide open for you. 65780. 65780. Rhino Shield might drop as well. Simple question for you. It was something that hit you over the head in sports on Friday. Great reminder that the virus will dictate whether or not sports returns. What do you think? Are we going to have sports? Very simply, are we going to have sports? I'm just curious what you think. Should we have sports? 65780. They shut down all spring training uh, spots in baseball on Friday. You had eight people, five players for the Phillies on Friday. And I started thinking about the Houston Astros specifically, and I believe, Colin, correct me if I'm wrong, some of the Astros, they popped too. I think there's a couple of them, right? Yes, yes. And we had uh, one Toronto Blue Jay. Mm-hmm. I think somebody from the Angels. Yeah, there, there are a lot of teams that Maybe have a giant was in there too. out and report yeah. that they have had some players that tested positive as well. So it's, uh, it's not just the economics that we're talking about here. It's... Young men that are are getting this in Major League Baseball and really across sports. And it's a sobering reminder that the virus, which is, as you know, I've been saying that from day one. NHL, NBA, golf had it on Friday. Watney had to stop. Nick Watney, yep. Um, All of a sudden, it was just a reminder on Friday that the virus is going to dictate whether or not we're going to have sports. And by the way, Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch is going to be my guest coming up. And we're going to talk about what happens with college football. You know, should we have sports? Should it be done? And so I started thinking about the Houston Astros specifically because one of my favorite people in the sport is Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker is 72 72 years old. Okay, so we're seeing a lot of people. The data is showing us. And I'm no expert. I'm not a doctor. But we're seeing that young people, for the most part, if you're healthy, no pre-existing conditions, they're getting through it. We don't know the long-term effects, but they're getting through it. So you would like to think that if you're young, you're healthy, you're a pro athlete specifically, you're, you're making it through this. But if you're Dusty Baker, you're the manager of the Houston Astros, and you've beaten cancer, should you be in that dugout? He's got a coaching staff where some of the guys are above 65 years old. So what if you run that team? You know, Do you, do you want Dusty in that, that dugout? Do you want him on those planes? Do you want him in the hotel? That That is something that you have to think about with this. That is scary. 314, I think we should officially start calling it summer training. You know, time for you to stop thinking about baseball. Danny Mack, is there a team in any sport that benefits from the shutdown? Then the Astros cheating scandal has faded. I'm not talking about that. I I understand your point, but yes, they have benefited because we're not talking about them cheating. I get it. Uh, 314, Danny Mac, love your show. I don't think they should have sports. Life's too short. Risky now for players and their families. It's just not worth it. I get it. I do understand it. It's a valid point. I think baseball, as opposed to the other sports, could be riskier than the others because... The others have set up the the bubble setup. Tim Kirchin of ESPN. I think we're going to play baseball this year, but I don't say that with tremendous confidence. 
even if they don't agree on the money, the commissioner can impose a schedule of whatever length he likes and the players are going to be obligated to play. So that's the number one reason why I think we'll play. However, we're still not sure about the medical situation here. And with, with teams leaving spring training facilities because of outbreaks and everything like that, now they... The uh, vote by the players has been delayed to see just how safe things are. You put everything together, and if we don't have a season, I would not be shocked. But I think we're moving in that direction still. But this player vote on how many games they'll be willing to play uh, before being imposed with a schedule is still something that has to be voted upon. That was delayed late last night. Now, the fear among the union... Uh, and the players is that while they have been assured of receiving their full prorated salary, which is what we've always been hearing about, COVID-19 could force the season to be shortened to less than 60 games. So that would further reduce their pay. If the season is shortened, Manfred promised to Clark that the postseason would not be expanded from 10 teams to 16 in 2021. DH would not be used in the National League. So I started thinking about where we're at in terms of the season, doing some numbers. To me, the drop-dead date in terms of the schedule, we would have to know probably by Wednesday, latest Thursday. So this time next week, we're done talking about the back and forth on what guys are getting paid and would it be 70, would it be 60. We're going to know all that stuff. And they're going to try to roll this thing out. And we're done hearing about the economics of it. We're going to know about that. And they're going to try to make this thing happen. But they're going to try to do it in the home cities. Now, the NBA is trying to do the bubble aspect of this and do it down in Disney World. ESPN's Brian Windhorst. The reason this is going forward is because the league shifted from the idea that they couldn't play with players with any coronavirus to we can't continue to play if we have players who are positive. Um, and here's how I'm going to term it. It's too big to fail. It's too much money, and it's too big to fail. Now, I say that sitting here on the night of June 21st, we may get to July 15th, and we may have guys testing positive or five guys on a team testing positive or what have you, and, and there is a tipping point. We don't know. I'm not saying that's not going to happen, Nick, but I'm, I, I, my feel from talking to people in the league is that that is not – that is not the way that they think it's going to go. And here's why the NBA and the NHL might be in a better position. Because they're in that bubble, they can isolate. They're not traveling among the general communities. And as they continue to move forward in their season, postseasons, if you will, fewer and fewer players and personnel. Teams get eliminated, they're out. They go back to their homes. I think it can work. I do. Now, the virus has found ways clearly to get in. But when you're asking in baseball guys to isolate, essentially quarantine, you're asking roughly, you know, 50 guys, personnel per teams, 30 teams. It's 12, 1300 people. You're asking a lot for two months. It can't be done. You just have to be responsible. But you're also asking your common man, those that are out there to be responsible, too. Think it's about it. You just said, ask. You just said over 1,000 people. All it takes is that 0.1%. And that's all it takes to disrupt this entire plan. And to think that all of that is riding on such a, a small percentage chance that all of these people are going to be that responsible, it just seems very difficult to me. I'm going to give you something I watched over the weekend. 
that I really enjoyed. Two things, actually. Premier League, back, and um, I was also watching the golf. The one thing I love about the golf, now we, d- we don't have crowds. I miss the crowds. But the production of it, I'm seeing so much of the swings. Like, there's just not a lot of extemporaneous stuff going on in the broadcast. I mean, it is just pure golf. I love golf. So some people find it boring. I get it. And that's okay. It's fine. I don't care. It's what I like. I like just seeing pure golf. I mean, it's shot after shot after shot after shot, and they're focusing on the tournament. I'm enjoying it. It was a fu- it had a lot of drama yesterday, um, and I'm enjoying that aspect of how they're doing this. And then in the uh, in the soccer, I watched two different versions of it. You could go to I don't know if you saw this, Colin. You could go with the version where they're piping in crowd. It's a fake crowd, and then you could go to a version that had you could hear the players. Barking back and forth and calling for the ball, play it back, play it forward, play it to the middle, do different things with it. It was kind of cool. I like both of it. Now, Ribs and BK had Ryan O'Reilly on last week, and I was wondering from the hockey perspective, so let's just say we get games back and we know there's not going to be a crowd. They asked Ryan, who uh, you know has found a home here in St. Louis. He's beloved. Okay, from a hockey player's perspective, I've thought about the baseball perspective, what it might be like not having a crowd. You're going to hear a lot of different things. What is it going to be like for a hockey player on the ice with no crowd? The the biggest thing is going to be just when play is not going on. And like warm-ups and that sort of thing when you're kind of like, you know, when there's a stoppage in play and, you know, you kind of just look around and, you know, you just see the crowd or, you know, a big play happens. But I find, I don't know, I find during it, like... Just that adrenaline of playing and just the intensity of it, just the, the skill of guys, I think automatically you're kind of drawn in, just like in a normal game. Once that puck drops, like, kind of things kind of melt away and it's just you're completely present and playing that shift. But, yeah, it's just like a TV timeout and you look around and there's nothing going on. Like, it's going to be it's gonna be so weird. It's something that would, like, take your mind, take you back a bit and, like, will definitely hurt the experience. But, but. You know, for myself, I know a lot of guys think like the best part's just the, the playing of the games and the competitiveness and, you know, doing whatever it takes to win. And that's that's something that, you know, you, you can't take away. Yeah, I do think the players get into the rhythm of playing the game. Like once the puck is dropped, they get into it, the competitiveness. Certainly a crowd helps elevate that to an extent. I've been watching the KBO. I do see a rhythm to those games, too. There's a competitiveness like it's back to baseball. Um, one of the things I would love to see in a hockey game, especially as it elevates in playoff hockey, I don't know if you can get there, but when you get two guys scrapping, how much fun would that be to hear some of that stuff, the barking back and forth, which you might you might pick up. You and, might hear some of those things. And listening to some of those teammates as they're going at it, you know, what what's being said? Are they cheering them on? Are they giving them directions like, hey, you got to duck that right. It's coming for you, you know? Don't tie them up. Well, well if you yeah. tie them up, you're going to get your, your butt beat. <laughs> Calling for the puck. Calling for the puck. The movement of the puck. And that's one of the beauties of the sport. Sometimes, you know, I think a casual fan thinks it's like, wow, these guys are just, you know, it's just so tough and rough and boom, boom, boom. But no, it's a beautiful sport. Beautiful sport. And and Brian also talked about, he said, man, it was weird. You know, I was just trying to get the edge of my skate and trying to get back on my feet. And they, this is a pro guy, man. He's he's awesome. He's, he's an unbelievable player, world class. It's going to take a little time. 
and they're also going to get another world-class player back. And Jeremy Rutherford talked about Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, for sure. And you know that all the teams are going to be uh, rested, and you all you know that uh, they're going to be healthy for the most part. I know a few, few guys around the league you know, still aren't going to make it back because they had surgery. But who's getting a Vladimir Tarasenko back? And, you know, the one good thing here for Vladdy is he was going to come back about a week after the league paused on that next road trip uh, in mid to late March. And he was going to jump into a lineup where he was the only one that was rusty. And now you're going to jump into a situation where, granted, he hasn't played uh, since October. So, you know, if you look at the calendar, he's going to be more rusty uh, than most. But it's going to be more of a level playing field for him jumping into the competition. So I think that's going to uh, bode well. It still is fun to think about if and when they can come back. Now, the Lightning had to shut down, too. Yes. They had to shut down, too. Boy, well, let's hope. And I think you're, you're only going to see more of this. And I know, Dan, you're all about the positivity, and that's what you bring with this show. I hate to say it. I think something tragic is going to have to happen for people to open their eyes to just how serious all of this is. Oof. Let's hope not. 618 COVID calls in doubt whether the baseball season can even be played. Therefore, this negotiation baloney between the players, owners, only hurts baseball. Well... I've said this, too, an awful lot, is that the bickering back and forth, yes, it's been bad for the sport. That's why I've said, let's just get a deal done. Hopefully you have the game. The virus will dictate whether or not you play. And that's why you get a deal done. And I think fans would accept this. I really do. Get a deal done. And if you couldn't play because of the virus, fans would accept that. If you didn't play because of the economics, unacceptable. Coming up, we'll talk a little college football with Dave Matter. You're listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, Monday edition on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Phenomenal job at the Post-Dispatch covering Mizzou Athletics. And the calendar is counting down to what we all hope is a college football season. Dave, I appreciate your, your time on this Monday morning. You had the countdown for the top 30 Mizzou athletes recently in the Post-Dispatch. We're all trying to come up with different lists and different ways to entertain our readers and our listeners. Good morning to you. How are things going? Doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, well, let's start with this. Do you get a feeling one way or another that we will have a Mizzou season and a college football season? What do you think? I think we'll have a start to the season. You know, everything is trending that direction. I mean, teams are bringing back their athletes for voluntary workouts right now. We're seeing a lot of cases at schools where they're getting multiple players, test positive, and need to quarantine but these programs are are really moving toward you know the the, the ramping up toward summer workouts where, where the coaches get more involved next month and then August seventh they can begin preseason camp with pads and tackling and all of that that we usually see in August. So they're they are trying their best to have a season. I, I think the fear has to be that teams will have outbreaks during the year and have to. Um, quarantine a, a group of players and maybe forfeit a game. Um, but it just seems like without having any real leadership at the NCAA level that can make decisions like you see in Major League Baseball and NBA and, and the NFL, 
it's it's going to be kind of a case by case basis if these teams can can get through the season. I think. How has Mizzou handled their athletes coming back already on campus? I, I guess it's been what seven or ten days ago they were they were back on campus. June June eighth was the first day that football players could come back for voluntary workouts, along with men's and women's basketball players, and then they're um, they're kind of staggering in the other sports in order of fall, then winter, then spring sports, um, you know, through July when, when the baseball players can come back for workouts. So um, what they're doing is they are testing every athlete for, for COVID-19 before they can uh, go through the, any kind of workouts. That was not their initial plan. Initially, they were just going to test symptomatic athletes and athletes that came from, you know, the hotspot regions of the country, but they kind of reversed course on that. What they're not doing is they're not reporting any numbers um, to the media or publicly at all. They're just giving their data to the, the county health department. So unlike some schools like like an LSU that just reported, uh, or, or Texas, I should say, that just reported, I think, 13 football players last week tested positive, or Kansas State has reported a bunch. Missouri is not going to do that. So um, we don't really have a great sense of, of you know positive tests. Uh, nothing has really leaked out you know, by sources or anything like that yet. Um, but they're doing everything that most places are doing, you know, monitoring for temperature every day, symptoms and things like that. You know, the the, the weight room um, is sanitized, you know, more than ever. Guys can only work out in small clusters. And the real fear that these schools have is what these athletes are going to do on their own time, the downtime when they're away from the facilities. That's when you have to worry about them you know, catching the virus and potentially spreading it to others. There's no doubt. Um, in terms of the kids going back on campus, and I, I mean non-athletes, what have you heard about uh, Missouri having kids back on campus and then uh, being with the student-athletes and how that may work in the fall? Yeah, that's the thing that's got to keep people up at night, just worrying about the potential spread of this thing. And I think when we talk about COVID-19 and when it comes to athletes and college students, you know, the kind of the conventional wisdom is, well, they're not going to die from this. Well, that, that's not that's not the only downside to it. It's also about the spread and, and potentially spreading it to um, older, more susceptible people, people that have, uh, you know, some pre-existing conditions. And that has to be the real fear. So Missouri, the university, Columbia campus has decided that all students on campus for classes are going to have to wear masks. All professors and teachers have to wear face shields. Um, they are putting in some some policies now that they're just deciding on. They're not going to change the the start date. It's still going to be in late August. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, they've got to hope that you know they don't crank out a bunch of high numbers. Um, you know, either right at the beginning or maybe in the fall if this supposed second wave happens. Um, but they're they're just kind of hanging on for dear life. I'm sure, and just praying that um, you know this the college campuses just like them all around the country don't don't suddenly become a hotspot. Dave Matter, who is just exceptional at covering uh, college athletics, is my guest from the Post-Dispatch. I always feel like, Dave, and, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the idea is like a different animal as opposed to any other conference in the NCAA. Yeah. Uh, it's a different business, man. It is what it is. And especially SEC football, when you think about LSU and Alabama and Auburn, and the list goes on and on. I, I've said from day one, come hell or high water, they're going to play football. Um, do you get that impression, too, that no matter what happens with these cases popping up, they're, they're going to find a way to play football? Do you, do you get that impression, too? I do. I think they could play tomorrow. They would play tomorrow if they could. Yeah. Uh, what's really interesting is if you look at the, the data of, of where cases are really popping up exponentially is a lot of the 
schools that are in states and in, in, uh, in the southeastern part of the country. And those are also the states politically have been more geared toward opening up early and um, you know, not necessarily being dismissive of um, of the precautions, but maybe a little bit more so than places in the northeast or out west, uh, up in the uh, northwest part of the country. So it, it you, people say keep your politics out of my sports, but it's it's hard to separate when it comes to this issue, especially in a lot of these states in the SEC. Um, most have governors who are Republicans, and and uh, you know we we've seen that this is there's a a blue and red line in the sand here between uh, um, you know the, a lot of these states, and it's I think it's really interesting in the SEC. But I do think you know these these universities they know that football is the revenue generator that makes everything else possible. That's true in the SEC like it is everywhere else, and, and I, I really think they are trying their best and doing what they can to have a football season. I can't imagine what your job is like right now, trying to figure out the uh, the financial impact, not only, um, you know, globally, if you will, for, for college athletics, but specifically for Mizzou. Have you been able to put your finger on what this has meant uh, financially for Mizzou? Well, it's, it's, it means everything to them to have a, a football season. And, you know, the first people that will tell you that is, baseball coach Steve Beezer or wrestling coach Brian Smith, they realize that their sports function because of football revenue. And Missouri is what they're saying from a company line is that they are projecting about a 20% downturn in revenue for this coming year. That, that might be too conservative. I mean, if there's, if they can't have home football games, uh, if they really have to reduce the capacity of Memorial stadium to, I don't know, 10, 20%, you know, that, that might be a conservative figure. And, you know, the, the ones that will suffer will be those other non-revenue teams that rely so much, rely so heavily on, on the revenue from football because, you know, they all operate at a budget deficit, unlike football and unlike men's basketball. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's what's at stake here, which we've seen around the country that the, the non-Power 5 level of schools that have had to cut their track programs or baseball programs, or um, and, and it's usually on the male side because of the Title IX rules. Um, so, yeah, those are the coaches that are really watching this carefully and hoping that, you know, their, their program schools can survive this and get through it without having to make those kind of cuts that nobody wants to make when you're talking about getting rid of a golf team or getting rid of a indoor track team or swimming. Uh, so far, Missouri hasn't done, had to make any of those changes. I, I've been told that's the last of the last of the last resort would be getting rid of a team and, and nobody in the sec or any of the power fives have done that yet, but, but that would be the, um, the last resort for a lot of schools. I don't know if you know the answer to this, and I'm not sure it pertains to Mizzou or across the board, but we're talking about student-athletes. That's the definition, student-athletes, so they're not being paid. Um, the the question would be for a pro-athlete, you know, do you want to go and have an inherent risk to put your life on the line? You know, that's the risk, in because we don't know everything about the virus, to go earn a paycheck. For a college athlete, it's different. Are college athletes... Um, signing waivers or being asked to sign waivers to continue their scholarship to play sports. Is that even being in a, a put on the table as an option for these kids? Or are they just saying, or the universities and the coaches saying, look, here's the deal. This is your scholarship. You do this. Is that even an option for them? You know, some places are calling them pledges. Some places are calling them waivers. It's really uncertain what kind of legal bound, binding, you know, what, a document like that really would have. Missouri did have its players sign 
what they call a pledge. And I, I wrote about this, I think on Friday, it's a seven step agreement. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to monitor, I'm going to report uh, any symptoms I have. I'm going to do my best to um, social distance and wear a mask if I'm out in public. It's all these steps. There's no language in there that says anything is at stake if they don't follow these. I, I think it's more of just kind of an oath or a promise. What's the punishment if they don't? I, I don't know if there's any kind of legal carryover from that, that the school could take away a scholarship or anything like that. And that, the hope is that they wouldn't have to do that. It might be more or less just kind of a um, it's something to put in front of their eyes to say, this is how serious we're taking this. I think the, the intent is good. Um, big picture, is that really how you want to be treating these unpaid college athletes who are risking things to, to play a sport for you to make money for your school and not necessarily make money for themselves? Um, that's that's kind of a, a, another big question that, that has a lot of people out there being critical of, of these waivers or pledges or whatever you want to call them. But uh, and more than anything, the coaches in the schools, they, they just want to, they want to expose uh, they want to risk the, minimize the exposure and, and mitigate anything that they can to get this thing to spread to people who, who really wouldn't be able to handle it. Unlike a, you know, a 20 year old fit athlete who could probably overcome, you know, the virus just, uh, better than somebody who's older or a grandparent or a coach or an administrator or somebody else who, who, as we know, would have more trouble, you know, getting through something like this. Absolutely. Dave Matter, our guest from the Post-Dispatch. Just a couple more and I'll let you go. Really appreciate your time. Um, what are you hearing about crowds at Mizzou and, and across uh, football stadiums in the SEC come this fall? What are, you, what are you hearing about crowds maybe being allowed in stadiums? You know, Missouri is they're going through some different models um, just to be prepared. I mean, they realize right, right now, late June, it's still too early to really have an idea of what will be allowed by you know, county and state regulations, you know, if there's any kind of national regulations, um, you know, and they're just going to have to be prepared for, for different uh, type capacities. I mean, will your, the allowed capacity in September be different from late November? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, we don't know that this, we're still so young into, into all of this, um, you know, 10%, 20%, maybe 50%. I just, I would, I don't know. I would doubt that they would be allowed to have 100% capacity. That just doesn't seem to fit everything that we've lived through for the last three and a half months or so. Um, so, you know, they're going to follow the lead of what a lot of places are going to probably have to do. I just can't imagine Alabama having 104,000 people at, at Bryant Denny Stadium this fall. It just doesn't, everything that we've seen around the country, um, even if you don't agree with, you know, a lot of the precautions that are being taken, you don't personally take those in your own life. I can't see a university doing that and allowing that. Um, so if that means the most you can have at Memorial Stadium this fall is 30,000, maybe every other row or every other section, I don't know. I don't know how they'll do it. I'm glad that's not my job to tell <laughs> ticket holders, long-time season ticket holders, hey, you can't sit with your family members like you usually do. We're going to have to split you up and put you in different sections. That would That would be tough. And finally, uh, Chip Kelly and what happened with UCLA in terms of the players galvanizing, coming together and saying, we want a third party to make sure that we're taking care of, um, you know, physically, that uh, they're being responsible with our testing, making sure our health and our safety is number one. That had to gather the attention of many people around the country. What did you think of that when you saw that? Yeah, I, I applaud them for doing that. You know, and, and you got to realize that these coaches—it's not to indict any coaches and say they would—they would definitely put their their athletes' health at risk. But there's a lot of money. There's, there's careers on the line here, 
And if you're a college athlete and you're one that knows you're probably not going to make it to the NFL and you're putting all this at risk and you want to play football, but you want to do it safely, um, do you trust your coaches and your trainers that they have your best interest at heart here? Um, I, I think it's smart. It's very bold, obviously. we've This is the era of player empowerment, and these UCLA players are really putting that to the test here by saying, hey, we want somebody whose stake is not the UCLA having a football season this year um, you know, being the basis for their careers. We want somebody else to come in and make sure you guys are doing it right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like this happen, you know, around the country at other places. Uh, if, if in fact, you know, those players maybe don't trust uh, who's leading their programs. And um, there's been some di- other stories that have come out more recently about what's happening at UCLA and some players are not backtracking, but trying to say, hey, we just we just want the best for our health, not that we don't trust coach kelly but really really interesting and uh, we'll see if it has any kind of reverberations around other parts of the country especially in the sec dave my final question on your top 30 um which you did an unbelievable job with because you took me down uh memory lane because i was with you on many of those guys uh wesley stokes i mean (laughs) wesley stokes my man where where is he I'll give you, Dan, the answer I give to everyone who asks a question like that. He was number 31. He just, <laughs> just, just missed the cut. Just Wesley missed the cut, yeah. He was right there. Darn it. I had him at like, <laughs> you know, 31 and a half, but I, I just, I, I thought you might get him to 29 or something, man. You know, if this if this uh, pandemic goes any longer, I might have to expand that list. And I'll, <laughs> and I'll include Wesley Stokes. I love it. Dave, you do such a great job. Thanks for carving out some time for me this morning. I really appreciate it and love reading your work at the Post-Dispatch. Thanks so much. All right. My pleasure, Dan. Take care. You got it. That's Dave Matter from the Post-Dispatch covering Mizzou Athletics and uh, dipped his toe in the water and doing uh, some columns as well. Really does a great job. That's Dave matter from the Post-Dispatch, and we'll also uh, talk uh, about the Jack Buck special coming up. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Shooter from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss, and that's a winner! That's a winner! A World Series winner for the Cardinals! That's coming up later tonight, the Sounds of Baseball. And that will be on MLB Network tonight at 7. And that's all about Jack Buck. Really looking forward to that. By the way, I watched the uh, Ken Griffey Jr. special last night. I thought that was fantastic. That was done on Major League Baseball and uh, had one of the sweetest swings in the game. Man, was that fun to watch on Ken Griffey Jr. Got to know Ken. And uh, at that time, his son Trey was one of the, the top young football players coming up. And it was really true about what he felt about his family. Did a special that went uh, national. Did a, a not a special but a feature and he um he said dan why do you want to do something on me i said i'm not going to talk baseball with you i'm going to talk about your family and he said oh let's do it he was awesome he was very good to me and i appreciated that and um really appreciated the special i thought it was very very well done and uh the one on jack buck is coming up tonight on mlb network let's go to the rhino shield mic drop and this is jason danny mack love having you on the big network Hey, how would you feel if we had an abbreviated baseball season and you get to the World Series and the middle of the order for one of the teams goes down with the COVID or the starting rotation? How would that impact how you view the season going? Bingo. I think it's huge. And that is a valid, valid point. I think it's maybe the biggest concern 
for Major League Baseball, and it's something that they're taking into consideration because, remember, that's where the owners are going to get paid. They're going to get paid primarily on their postseason television money, and uh, to your point, Jason, it's it's a nightmare. There's no other way to put it. It would be a nightmare for baseball to see uh, a bunch of the players, you know, especially your top players, get and a, a bunch of them get the virus and have to sit out and it's at the end of the season to where there's no time to come back and then reinsert them into a lineup or into a rotation and i thought on friday when all those phillies got it you know what if it's the middle of their lineup what do you do in the middle of a season and that happens now you do have the 50-man taxi squad you could pull guys off the taxi squad reinsert them and just say look it's an outlier of a season and yes, we're going to go with the double-A left fielder and the triple-A center fielder. He's going to come in and the second baseman from whatever team is going to play for 14 days and shrug his shoulders and say, so be it. That's the players we got. We're filling up the roster spot. That's one way to look at it. I don't think you want to have a cancellation of those games from the Phillies' perspective. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. But there's a money aspect of this, too. I mean, do you start their clocks? of those young players you know and if i'm talking about it you know major league baseball has thought about it but it's got to be something you think about it's it's very complicated but to your point i think is the best question and it's a very valid one you're at the postseason you're at the best point of the season so let's say it goes off for the most part without a hitch you're going to have players that test positive so you take that player out player x goes out He quarantines for 14 days. You bring him back. Things go off without a hitch, hopefully. Healthy, back. Other players, it doesn't spread. He's back in the lineup. But you don't know for sure that it doesn't spread inside the clubhouse. I mean, that's that's the other thing, man. I mean, you're inside clubhouses, buses. It's it's just going to be tough to pull off, man. It's just going to be very tough to pull off. 314 Danny Mac, this show is must-listen-to radio. If I was a college athlete this year, when every athlete needs to hold out, like in pro sports, if I was a college athlete, I'd be holding out to be paid. Interesting. You think about leverage. Boy, do they have leverage. Tons of leverage. <laughs> I mean, those those colleges, those universities, you want the science building to go up? It's because the guy playing football is on the field. That's why that goes up. And you just wonder, too, if this is going to send the entire NCAA institution crashing to the ground. I mean, the way that they have set this up with the reliance on basketball and football almost completely, it makes it very difficult to think there's going to be some kind of recovery if you don't have those seasons. When Gary Pinkle had that thing rolling down in Mizzou, don't think for a second. When they, I mean, you would roll down there and you'd you'd drive through campus, because I would do that. I would get there so early in the morning before, and I'd see tailgaters, and I'd see, you know, the fraternity row and all that kind of stuff and sorority row and it was fun the kids are having fun they're partying they're doing their thing and i mean this is early in the morning god bless them they're doing their thing being college kids there was so much construction colin going on in that campus and i mean it was dorm rooms because the admissions they were they were skyrocketing and you know why because football was good they're playing on national tv you're exposing the university why was the, the the university being exposed? Because your football program was tremendous. You're on CBS. You're on ESPN. 
don't think for a second college athletics isn't important to the overall health of your um, your admin uh, your admissions your um, your science building your literature building. I mean, all that stuff, it's so important. All that money comes funneled back in, and it gets spread out everywhere, everywhere. Alabama's enrollment has oh, skyrocketed over the last 15 years. And no offense to Alabama, but it's not really a school that you're thinking about, oh, they have this academic program that really is just outstanding at Alabama. They, they want to go there for the football. Kids want to go there for the football, for the athletic programs. It's a huge selling point for these universities. Nick Saban, get, he's worth every penny. He's made that school so much money. So much money. He's worth every penny. If, if he wasn't involved in football, but yet was bringing in that kind of money, no one would say a word about it. Exactly. Because it's athletics. Yep. Cross it over with Ribs and BK next. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, 1057 in St. Louis. Ribs and BK coming up and Jamie Rivers in studio to tell us what's coming up on the show. But first off, I want to get to what I talked about at the beginning of the show that uh, Friday was kind of a sobering reminder at about, I guess it was 2 o'clock, we started hearing um, about what is a sobering reminder in sports that the virus will dictate whether or not sports will allow you to come back. And it was all sports. We heard golf, baseball, and then in the NHL, Tampa Bay shutting down their facilities. And it is concerning. There's no question. It's concerning for all sports. But as it pertains to the sport that you play and you follow and you love, Tampa Bay shuts down. We saw the Toronto Maple Leafs top goal scorer with 47. Yeah. He gets it. I mean, holy smokes. It is it, it is sobering because the reality of it is, is no matter what you feel about this virus, it's real. Yep, And uh, for lack of better words, it's alive and well. Now, to what degree do you get it? Uh, how bad does it get for you personally? You know, that, I think that varies to each individual. But the point is, it's out there. And these places that were supposed to be safer places, yeah, they're not. They're hot spots now. Mm-hmm. And the Tampa Bay Lightning had to shut down their everything. Everybody go home and don't come back for, you know, two weeks. And then they're going to have guys tested. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a couple of guys, too. I think it was a player or two players and a staff member or something like that. Austin Matthews, who you referenced, Toronto Maple Leafs top scorer. He's in Arizona, and they're shutting him down. But then also there were a bunch of baseball players in Arizona that apparently they had been using some of the same training facilities. So, yeah, guys. you know, I know you're a positive guy. I don't want to be Debbie I Down. I know you. I heard you earlier call and talk about it. I don't want to be that guy, but I think that the reality of this is that we're going to, maybe not us personally, the sports are going to have to accept that there's going to be uh, a contraction of the virus, and we're going to have to deal with it. So don't be that guy. <laughs> here, here's the thing I want to ask you though, and I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. I mentioned Dusty Baker in baseball. So he's he's a manager of the Astros. He's 72. He had cancer. He beat oh, it. Yeah. So. He's a pre-existing condition, and he's an older man, and we're seeing that the data shows you're older, you got a pre-existing condition, you got to be careful, you have to be careful. In hockey, are the coaches primarily older gentlemen, or, you, you know, I mean, if you're young and you're relatively healthy and, and you're a world-class athlete, data shows you're probably going to beat it, okay? Um, and again, I'm not a doctor, it's a general statement, but... 
if you're older. What about coaches? Yeah. And I think that what the NHL is looking at is there's going to be frequent testing, for one thing, of all staff and players. Have to. They will be in hub cities in the bubble atmosphere, and these coaches are just going to have to make sure that they are literally in a bubble. And so do you put the assistants up in the box and make sure that they're not, but no, they'll be, it'll be operational as normal. And uh, I think with the amount of testing they're going to do, and then it's just going to be uh, up to them to be disciplined, stay in your bubble basically. And you got to hope that your players stay in the bubble. And I think that that's where coaches will come in and, you know, there will be fines for guys that if they're caught Players out, police themselves. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. If you don't, then forget about it. And yeah. it's going to be difficult and all these things we talk about. But if they don't do it that way, then they're literally risking maybe the end of their season. Sure. Ribs BK coming up. Colin, as always, great job. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on Scoops with Danny Mac. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.